Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast, a show that helps you rewire your brain to survive and thrive. Join your host, Ozzy Martinez Jr., a Marine, a combat disabled vet, husband, and father, as he shares his firsthand knowledge and experience of hitting rock bottom, almost ending it all, and then turning it around. Dive into the rewired minds of thriving survivors. This show is an in-depth look at post-traumatic survival. And now, Ozzy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Hope everybody's having a great day. So I'm super excited to do this podcast here. I have my friend Laura Vendetti, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly. But Laura is, I met Laura in an interesting way. So she is part a member of the Overcome Army, which is a group that Jason Redmond started. And I'm a mentor and a coach in that group, as well as my brother, Sean Lopez. And that's how I met Laura. But I've, I've attached myself to Laura without her even knowing because of my personal connection to cancer where a few years ago I lost my grandmother and it was such a sudden thing where my grandma was such a, a woman that was out there, always woke up early and did her hair just to go outside to the grocery store or whatnot and somehow always found a way to go to Macy's and shop and stuff. So when I saw her get diagnosed immediately with uh, stage three uh, ovarian cancer, it started eating her up inside and, and just destroying her. Well, what ended up getting her was that she got that bag that you end up getting, um, you know, because of right. your intestines. Uh, I forgot right. what it's called. And she and that's what really got her really, really, really depressed to the point where she didn't have the life in her to survive. So I love seeing Laura because all of the pictures she's posting and everything she's doing with her life. And I decided to ask her to come on the show. So, uh, Laura, I'm so happy that you're you're, you're here with me. <laughs> hey, Ozzy. I'm so happy to be here. It's an honor. It truly is. I'm, I'm a fan of yours and of your podcast, and uh, and I'm happy to be healthy and share my story. So let's see. You you know you were told you're born and raised in Mississippi, and you were raised by World War II veterans. You're telling me here. Yeah. So very that's very important. That's very important because I see that that's where a lot of your love is, and that's what you do a lot now, and. So you ended up going to, uh, what is it, Music Business Institute after high school? All right. And then you've done cosmetology as well. And yeah. then at what point was it then? I mean, we're just going to go straight to it. What, how, where, how, were, how were you doing? What were you doing in your life? What age were you when, when this came forward and this came to? Because I've, I've read little bits and pieces of your story that your boyfriend was also at the time helped you find it or whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah i'll just jump in um well your viewers can't see me i'm 49 years old just to kind of gauge you know where i'm at but about the world war ii um it's, it's so important to me because it made me the human being that i am and the fighter that i am my father and my grandfather were world war ii veterans and it takes a minute to kind of figure that out. My mother married a man her father's age. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm young to have a World War II daddy. 
But as I said, they set me up um, really for life, and I'm sure we'll swing back around at some point. But yes, um, Ozzy, uh, condolences. I did not realize you had lost your grandmother to cancer. And I think that's one reason that I'm so eager to speak about this topic with your listeners, because everyone has been affected by it at some point in time. And for me, I'm the fifth person in three generations on daddy's side to get cancer. And I'm the first one to beat it. So I wanted to beat it for that side of my family, for my niece and my nephew. I don't have uh, children and, and obviously for myself because I'm not done here. That said, I do a lot of charity work. I have my entire adulthood and cancer was one I wouldn't touch. I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't wear pink in October. I wouldn't do fundraisers. I thought that by avoiding it and pretending like it didn't exist, that it wouldn't happen to me. I didn't get a mammogram for eight years. So you just, you, you literally, what you're saying is, uh, so that, you know, people understand is that you, you were, you were like just dealing with your life and avoiding anything that had to do with cancer just because your family had already been touched by cancer so many times. So you were, you were avoiding it. And by doing that, you were just keeping yourself busy with fundraisers and stuff that weren't about cancer. You weren't even testing yourself for it. No, it wasn't going to happen to me because I was going to ignore it. And how old were you? If you don't mind at the time. Uh, when I was diagnosed. Yes. When all this was happening. Uh, 47 years old. This is recent. Okay, I just had so. my last treatment in, in uh, December, and this is uh, recording is May 3rd. So this is very recent. So yes, I was avoiding all that. And then I was doing so much charity work. I thought that I was balancing out. Uh, well, I do charity work because I enjoy it, but I felt like, you know, I was, I was in pretty good balance. I was extremely healthy when I was diagnosed. And I think that's something that's extremely important to know, too. If you looked at me, in fact, they told me I was the healthiest person in the hospital aside from the cancer. But to answer your question, I had a brand new boyfriend. And he found that it was breast cancer in a moment of intimacy. And I remember him saying afterwards, I hate to be unromantic right now, but you know you have a lump in your breast. And I remember I don't remember much about that night, to tell you the truth, which is really interesting to me because when I hear you all talk about a trauma, be it a car wreck or, or combat, you tend to kind of forget moments leading up to That's it. That's exactly what I was about to say. So so for you, I, I want you to understand and, and listeners to understand, that's where I'm so happy to finally have Somebody that is really, really, even though you come from a World War II family, or uh, I have a legitimate civilian on the show. So everybody's always yeah, been yeah. either military or firefighter or, or a police officer um, or family member. So, um, but your story, what I want viewers to understand and listeners to understand is that this is exactly it. You were now what we call on the X. And that was your point of the ambush. That was your point of combat. So it is natural for you not to remember much of that night. But... So it's a blur to you. I mean, I'm sure you were numb. You were, uh, he had just told you something that you tried avoiding and something that you tried avoiding from a doctor. And now you're hearing it from your boyfriend. So, um, it happened to have been a dentist. <laughs> so, you <laughs> know, an MD, he, he, it, it turned your life around though. So you started then going through treatment, correct? No, no, <laughs> that is not what happened at all. 
and that was hysterical laughter. Hmm. Uh, he broke up with me. Um, again, it's kind of a blur a week or two later. Another gory part of the story, but very important to talk about, I didn't have health insurance. So because I didn't have insurance, I procrastinated getting testing because I thought I can't afford for treatment. I can't allow my mother or my brother who have been on me for the last couple of years about not having insurance pay for this. I didn't know what to do and I didn't know who to turn to. So I chose to ignore it. And I did for a solid four months. And let me tell you, that's, that's a pretty heavy burden to carry on yourself for that long. Wow. I, I, so how I finally came. <laughs> yeah. You want to think about that for a second? I mean, I was preparing to die, Ozzy. I don't know any other way to put it. I was preparing to die because I thought I can't. You can't, can't afford, afford to this. get fixed. You can't afford to get help. So you were literally just preparing to die those four months. Not to mention, I mean, it was a new relationship, but my significant other just walked out on me. So my self-esteem, you know, hit, hit a bottom. And in addition to that, I'm a volunteer at the VA. So I was continuing to volunteer there. And every time I would walk by the um, women's department, I would get hit with a wave of guilt. Like if I had just served my country, then I would have health care. It was just a real downward spiral of emotions and, as you said, a place of being numb that lasted for about about four months, Became, began to withdraw. I was never suicidal, but I started to withdraw from my friends, uh, wrote out my will. I, I didn't know enough about cancer to really know how long it was going to take to kill me. But I guess there was a part of me that without being diagnosed knew in my heart of hearts that, that that's what I had. And when did you finally decide or when did that finally change? Because clearly you're here talking to me now. <laughs> yes, and I'm healthy and happy. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating story. I had, um, when I was in the music business, I, I boomeranged back around to being in the music industry and I was an agent. And the agency that I was working for uh, fell apart. And that's kind of a long story. Um, it, was, it was an ambush for sure, but I went back into hairdressing. But I was speaking to someone in India who had hired one of my artists for a festival over there some time ago. Okay. And we continued speaking to each other uh, through Messenger and whatnot and began uh, sort of a playful cultural exchange with each other and then I saw an opportunity to be his agent and bring him to America so on and so forth so we were doing uh FaceTime from time to time and discussing the details of this potential working relationship and one day he just saw something in my face and inquired and I was like I'm okay and he said clearly you're not and I finally broke down in tears. I mean, I've been carrying it for four months and I just, I lost it. So he in India said, either you find a doctor or I'm going to find one seven seas away. You're going to get this checked. Wow. So I think it's part of his culture that I tried to give him some, some credit for that on a, on a spiritual level. And he refuses to take it. He, he said it was a humane thing to do. 
but uh, I'll never say his name, but I, I absolutely give him props for being the one that finally found a clinic for uninsured but employed people like myself and, and got help. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and this clinic was local to you then? Yes, it's in Mobile, Alabama, and it's a Christian clinic. Okay. They're called Victory Health Partners, and they're for people like myself that are employed but don't have insurance. And I do work for corporate, but I don't work enough hours to actually have insurance. So I'm one of those people that kind of fell through the crack. Right. But they got me to a hospital to get a mammogram and to get a biopsy. And from there, the hospital, well, I actually walked out of that hospital when they tried to tell me I had cancer. <laughs> it took me a while to again you have to remember i was alone in this and i had been alone for four months i had been withdrawing from my friends but i did get an invitation to go to france by a french air force pilot that i met here in pensacola the year before and i thought you know what i might be dying i may as well go it's just where i was at in my head so unfortunately that ended, but I did keep the trip to Europe and because the breast became symptomatic, that's when I finally whimpered in. But yeah, they tried to tell me I had cancer and uh, I literally, when the doctor left the room and said she was going to send a nurse in, I literally got dressed and left. <laughs> like not today again you don't know what you're going to do when you hear that news which is why i think it's important to take someone with you i was about but to say that because you were alone throughout all this so four, it's four months. i know i keep saying that but i cannot emphasize and i and I, and I and i and i and i can relate to you because i mean for for my time when me and my wife were separated i didn't have cancer obviously but i was alone when you're right. alone it is so incredible how you you, you actually, you, I feel like your brain could pause and relax when you're in a group of people, but when you're alone, it's nonstop and you're just thinking and thinking. And I, and I did the same as you. I prepared, I prepared for whenever I was gone that it should be an easy transition or things were left taken care of or whatnot. And I remembered, and I remember living like that. So I, I just can't, I can't imagine what it is to now live like that. If I lived like that for two and a half years where my brain was nonstop and I know what it is to do something on impulse because there's nobody stopping you, nobody to help you out and say, hey, don't do this. Come here. Let me let's talk about this. And you're just like, you know what? Fuck this. And you walk out. And, and, and I know exactly what that is because I've done it so many times. I did it so many times at the, at, for VA appointments and, and stuff like that. And the only difference is I can't imagine what it is to know to be doing that and actually know you're going to die. Like, fine, we all know we're going to die at some point, but when you have a sickness or when you have something like that, that you don't even know at what stage it was in. You were just trying to continue ignoring it. Yeah, correct. That's exactly what I did. I mean, you're literally telling me you're planning trips to Europe. You're planning trips to Europe, and you don't even know what's going on still with your breast cancer. That's right. I didn't even, I wasn't even diagnosed at that point, but I was pretty sure based on family history and the way that this thing was behaving is that that's what it was. Well, I'll be, another thing that I, I have to point out here is I mentioned I was in the music industry and for 10 years I did public speaking 
and had started a nonprofit in Mobile, Alabama. So I had been standing on a stage for 10 years doing festivals, small events to festivals, raising money and awareness for various organizations, but I had just left all that behind and then moved over to Pensacola where I had been just kind of took a year off from, uh, as I say, moving mountains. I was volunteering at the VA, but I wasn't doing any public speaking. So again, I kind of fell into a crack. Now, if I had been in the community that, yeah, I think it would have been a completely different story. I would have felt like, you know, I yeah, could, you would have been back in Alabama. It would have been, it would have been different, but you were, you were on your voyage. You were on your doing your thing and, and which, which is part of what I know. And I understand because I did it for two and a half years and you try to find yourself either, whether it's literally staying at home, doing nothing or going out there, which I see you, you know, on a paddleboard in the middle of nowhere and you're alone, but you you really want to just find yourself. And I think what ends up happening is you become so comfortable with yourself that then that's when you're able to start allowing people back in your life or whatnot. I think you're absolutely right. And, and I want to point out here too, that I appreciate the way that you are um, relating to my story and my story can relate to your story to all of your listener stories when it comes to trauma, because it's, it's, it's the same psychologically. It's the same. And I think part of it is self-preservation, the numbness and the shock until you can figure out what to do or how to handle this later. But I also like to point out that no one is an island. (laughs) And, And to think that you're really alone in that just, really makes me sad. This is America. (laughs) (laughs) No one has to be alone. No, no, no. I mean, that was me back then. You know, I mean, I'm not like that now. Oh, no, no, of course not. I mean, now you're, you know, helping, you know, I'm a fan of yours, the amazing things that you're doing. But if you have a listener that might be in that same position or find themselves in that position later, I would, I would hope that this was something that would go into their subconscious or they could draw on later. It's, it's, I just want people to understand because it's, we're always, it's always people that have gone through it that then turn around and say, Hey, you know, if you don't be alone, uh, don't go through this alone, even though we went through it alone, you know? Um, and we're, we're just trying to let other listeners know and other people know that it's, it's a lot better to do it with somebody in your corner or with a few people in your corner. When, at what point did you finally start allowing yourself to accept it or to finally, I don't know, be diagnosed or to treat it and, and get it, get it over with? Well, <laughs> uh, the mammogram was on a Friday and the flight to Europe was on a Monday. The, the, the Monday right after? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so they followed me down the hallway. I just remember hearing Miss Vendetti, Miss Vendetti, where are you going? And I turned around and I said, I'm going to Europe. And I kept going. It was pretty amazing. I'm sure it was a, uh, an uncomfortable, awkward day for that person that had to <laughs> go back and tell uh, their higher up what happened to me. She so at that out. point, <laughs> um, I, I called my mom 
And I said, look, I'm in trouble and I can't do this anymore. And I broke down and uh, she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm, I'm, I really still want to go to Europe. And she said, I think you should. And I don't regret that. That is one thing that, um, I mean, of course, we kind of laugh about it now that I did it. I, I don't think two weeks made a huge difference in it. But I say if you have something like that and you've got a sort of a dream trip plan, take the trip. <laughs> take it. Especially at my age. I agree I with like, you. I mean, I think I would have done the same thing too. I, I don't know. I, I, what, what is it? What are you going to do? I mean, exactly. The, the way you've been living at that point in time, yeah, take the trip. But so luckily you're saying it didn't make a difference those two weeks. I don't know if it did or All not. All right. So you went on these two weeks. These two weeks must have been amazing going through Europe. You come back home and now is now, I mean, my only thing is you come back home and you've already now told your mom about this. So right. now I feel like you're going to be hounded as soon as you land. Yeah, well, there was no turning back at that point. <laughs> okay. The clinic that I went to, the nurse practitioner that day had been a client of my salon. I owned the hair salon. She was like, Laura and Daddy. And uh, it was comforting seeing her. And I could see that she was um, alarmed. And you have to get this diagnosed immediately. I know you have a trip coming to Europe. But she was on vacation. And she told her nurses, when you get the report on Laura and Daddy, let me know. And they called her in Destin, as it was relayed to me later, freaking out. Your pet patient just walked out on a potential cancer diagnosis. And she said, I found out later, she knows what she's doing. Let her go. So <laughs> I, I, really did, I really did appreciate that. So when I got back, I called the clinic and I said, I'm ready to face this, but I'm not going back to that hospital if you have to send me to another one, can you imagine? You were a little embarrassed by that. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you just, you, you literally like you, I feel like in your heart, you were, you, you were Jerry Maguire when he's walking out and he, <laughs> <laughs> you were just walking out with that attitude. Right. And high heels. Yeah. So, so I mean, so fine. So, so you finally go to another hospital and you finally start getting treated. How bad really was it, Laura? It was stage two. Okay. So, so it was stage you know, two. Oh, it was bad enough. Yeah. So, you know, another thing about that, you know, I, and, and the hospital that I went to, I chose to go to because it was a nonprofit hospital and it was a Catholic hospital and I was comfortable with, with all of the above. And that's something also for people that don't have insurance. Um, wasn't a charity hospital, but they had enough nonprofits in place. So I get asked probably more about the cancer than about my lack of insurance. And there is help out there for people like me that, that didn't have it. So I ended up going there. And when they did a biopsy and an ultrasound or ultrasound and biopsy, I just remember uh, the radiologist saying, do you have an oncologist? And even though the, the pathology report wasn't back yet, they, they, they knew what I had. It was that obvious. It was that obvious. Absolutely. It, by the way, this thing was and, about the size of a golf ball. So I was, that was, that was going to literally be my next question because let me tell you. So when I know you shared your little brief story, that's why I brought up the boyfriend thing and stuff like that because – I think it's huge. I think that's huge for my listeners to listen and, and for anybody to listen that you might be able to save somebody's life. I mean, look, 
I jokingly and 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 I'm sure I'm not the only person. Anybody around here grabs the their spouse's breast or something like that. And if you do, I just wanted to know what it is that you're looking for because the reality is a lot of women might be in the same place like you that they don't want to hear it. They don't they don't want to know about it or whatnot. And maybe they just scrub their shower and that's it. And I mean, fine, you're not with this guy anymore. But geez, this guy is will always be a life a life changer and yeah. lifesaver and you yeah. know in your life yeah. because he at least knocked that first domino down you know um i just i so it was the size of a golf ball and it was can you literally you could literally feel it when you touched when you when you just moved your your hand on your breast and you, know, you ignored it you ignored it like like if it was nothing didn't know it was there. And and that's another crazy thing. And thank you so much for bringing that up again, because it's so incredibly important. It was, you can see me because yeah. you're on video. It was right about here. The next time you play with your wife's food. No. So, I mean, so everybody, so everybody, <laughs> so everybody knows she has her, her, her right arm on top of her head and like, uh, you know, her armpit next to her, her armpit is what she's showing me. And right, right. Right. So when I was washing my underarms, I should have felt it. I did not know it was there. I just told you how big it is. And, and that that's remains- that's why I ask you, because, for instance, I know my wife showers mm-hmm. with a loofah in her hand. So she'll uh, never feel it. She'll never right. feel. So it's just it's it's important because, like I said, I remember when I first read your little story on the Overcome Army private group um post i immediately told my wife hey make sure when you're in the shower today you just uh, grab your breast and touch them whatever i'm just very cautious about that after my grandma i just i would like to jump ahead of it i mean we already know that cancer can touch everybody and um if it, it is curable so at some form you could live you know survive from it so i at least want to jump on it but your story to me is just it's crazy because you've just continue you like continued you know you and i'm so glad that i'm finally being able to listen to the whole story so then you finally go in and you start finally getting treatment at another hospital because we didn't want to go to the first one back anymore but oh my gosh no absolutely not well how things sort of uh played out from there is when they were doing the ultrasound on the breast and asked me if i had an oncologist obviously i didn't i didn't had not had a mammogram in years but tears started streaming down my face. And I remember the nurse saying, are you okay? And I said, I'm, I'm sad. And she gave me that and she cried with me. But where I went in my head in that moment and my favorite place to go from moments past that during treatment was uh, Costa Brava, Spain. Okay. Had I not had that experience in Europe, Ozzy, I would not have that in my brain. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Um, Europe is something that I still think about. So anyway, that happened. No, no, no. That's, you don't, you don't got to skip through that because you got to understand that that gave you, that gave you a, a boost in your, for instance, you didn't even know that there was a part of your body that was, that needed that recharge. And you right. went on that recharge to Europe. And like you said, that one little spot that you physically saw with your own eyes is what pushed you through that moment let's just go through that one moment it pushed you through that moment and you know if you would like you said if you wouldn't have gone on that trip you would have never have known 
that spot because what? Yeah, if you could look through National Geographic, but it's not the same unless when you see a place in person. I remember I went to Estes Park with my wife. We got a cabin, and right behind it, there's this creek. That little area, I'll never forget that spot. I have a picture of it. It's my screen, one of my screensavers. I love that spot. I'm dying to go back there one day. So I could imagine what it is that, you know, and, and, and you're not the only one that does that. So I, I'm glad that you gave that little example. So you, they're what? They're telling you now at this point right there in time that you need an oncologist and that's what you're, you're, you're finally, you know, you're going back to Europe in your head, but at the same time, you're dealing with the reality. Yes, the reality for sure was coming in then. And I, and I, I want to back up another second, Ozzy. It was, uh, I was, he found the lump in April of 2018. Okay. And you know, I'm a swimmer. Yeah. I, I live for those months that I can be in the water. And another reason that I opted to ignore the lump is I thought if, if I get this diagnosed now, and I go into treatment in May and miss. I'm missing summer. <laughs> summer. I'm not missing summer. And I'm here to tell you, I would have, I think I would have shriveled up and died. I, I don't think I would have had the fight in me. You, If you would have missed that summer, you're saying. If I would have missed that summer, that may sound absurd to some of your listeners. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's a way that it makes sense in, in reality because that's what you live for. That's what you, that's what you. I mean, to me, though, it's just the outside picture. That's why I understand why you say some of these listeners might be like, she's crazy or something. Like that. And it's not even like you're crazy. It's the reality is it's like you're looking at it from the outside and you're like, wow. So this person, listen to what she just said. She is not going to miss going to summer. But literally, if she misses going, if she doesn't miss the summer, she might not have any more summers. So that's what people... That's not right, but that's not what that's what that's that's not where we are when you're going through that process. You're not there right. in your head. You're you're there. I want to live my life. I just want to have fun and live. And you're not thinking, okay, well, how many more summers do I have? You're just thinking, this is the summer that I have now, and this is what I gotta live now. About living in the moment. Right. So you know it. it and look, I mean, and that's what I mean. That 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 living in the moment. I think. You're full of life. Living in the moment is what's getting you through it. Like I said, that's why I liked and I wanted to interview you so much because my grandma did the opposite. My grandma was just devastated. We saw her dwindle away just because she was embarrassed at life because now she had this bag. She didn't want to leave her house anymore. I mean, if she would have just lived in the moment, nobody cared about your bag. You never, and never you know, if you would have just lived in the moment, walked around the neighborhood, given herself some more life, I feel some more fight that she would have had it, you know? She would have been able to maybe go through it. I mean, my grandfather is still kicking and alive. He's 82 years old. I, I just went to Cuba with him a couple years ago in 2018, as a matter of fact. So, I mean, she could have just done it perfectly fine. But I feel that 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 that, that little fight wasn't there. And that's why I wanted to interview you because I want to try to find out where that fight comes from, you know, where it is that you get that from. So, I mean, you have that World War II blood in you. Fine, I understand that. But, what you know, what it, what was it that got you there? And, and you're telling me finally, you know, you you lived your life. And I think living your life is what got you there because you didn't miss your summer. You didn't miss your Europe trip. Okay. And all of these, all of these memories you made is what got you through your treatment. Yes. And, you know, Ozzy, I've, I've heard or read some studies that they're going to stop using the word fight when it comes to beating cancer. Let me tell you something. It's the fight. Oh, yeah. 100%. Way, you're not 
make it. One hundred percent. I have a I have a brother of mine that served with me in Iraq, Crom, uh, and baby Crom is his son, and he got diagnosed with cancer at a young age. But this kid, you could just see him at three, four years old when when he had it, two years old as a baby, at fighting it. He would show up and put in, put on his uh, super co- Superman costume and go there and fight it like that. And, you know, now they still come on vacation. He's about to be, I think, seven or eight. And they, they always come over to my house when he comes on, on leave because he's still active duty. But, yes, I don't understand why they want to take that word fight out because it is a fight. It is a fight. And, I mean, uh, that's why... That's why I'm curious. You know, that's why I was curious to interview you. I mean, so so you started going through treatment, and how did you really start fighting this? Well, I um, so to lay out what my treatment was, uh, because I was stage two cancer, meaning it was in the breast, but it, it spread to, to one lymph node, as it turned out, in my arm. So my lymph nodes did their job. It caught it. It didn't go any further. So getting all of the scans is when I really became fearful because I thought I did put this off. I hope it hasn't spread. It hadn't really occurred to me that again, it doesn't matter where I was at. Uh, but it, that was a very frightening. It does point. though. It does matter because I want other listeners that are listening to you that might be going through this process to make a decision that would maybe this conversation that you and I are having will help them make that decision. will help them say, you know what, maybe I am prolonging this or maybe, uh, maybe I, I am prolonging this trip because I'm stuck in this treatment or whatnot. I want these listeners to understand what you're going through because that is the, that is the process of, the surviving and thriving why I have you on the show. You know, I, I, I tell everybody that I love the fact that, you know, I, I know you, you got diagnosed and you went through treatment and clearly you survived. And then now you're, you're involving yourself in, in other things. So that's why I, it's very important. I don't want you to say it's not important. So it is very important. <laughs> we need to know where it is at what stage or how it is that you were doing this, because I could just imagine finally now you're sitting and, you're doing all these tests because you're going through these machines and now you're realizing, wait, they're putting me through all these machines. This is serious. This is real. Um, and then you're saying to yourself, this costs a lot of money. I don't have insurance, but still this is, and they're still doing it like this is real. So you start getting, I could just imagine being inside that, the MRI or the CT machine. You start getting this feeling of like, like you said, Shit, was that vacation wrong? Should I have done that? Did it spread over my body? So yes, I need people to understand exactly what it is you were feeling because it's amazing to to know that you fought it through though. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're using that word fight. They they can't take it out. You you fought it through because I fought for sure. And and thank you for kind of bringing that back around. You know when I do that, that's a defense mechanism. I know it is, but this is I, I mean if I already that. told you, I already told you that if you're coming on my show, we're going to talk and uh, I, I got so much more minutes left to cover. And if you're going to start shutting me down now, I'm just going to start asking you questions a different way. <laughs> I am more than happy to talk about the fight. I am uh, more than happy to talk about it. I think the diagnosis, uh, the MRIs, the testing, that part was so gruesome and so frightening to me. And were you still doing it alone, Laura? At that point, my mother was with so me. So she was with you. You had support. Yes, okay. I, told anyone else but all the same and, and of course it was horrifying for her to be going through this with with her daughter but as i said i've only been out of treatment since december so i think some of that i've, I've ne- maybe never even processed 
until I'm talking to you right now. I remember the point where he found it, the four months that I spent on the beach, the time in Europe, walking out in the hospital, tears streaming down my face and going back to Spain in my, my head. And then it became kind of a blur until I actually started treatment. I worked the entire time I was in treatment. I volunteered at the VA the entire time I was in treatment. And you started treatment because you said you finished in December of 2019. So you started treatment uh, like that earlier on that year or something? Uh, October of 2018. 18. Okay. I, I was 47 when I was diagnosed. I started chemo uh, a week after my 48th birthday in September of 2018. Okay. I was uh, really in the throes of fighting uh, October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So my treatment was six rounds of chemotherapy, uh, radiation, and then I continued getting infusions after radiation and chemotherapy, which is why I wasn't done with that until December. So here's something else. I think people are, I can speak for myself for sure, are more frightened of the treatment than they are of the cancer itself, which is another reason that I put off treatment because I thought I may not live through chemotherapy. I'm going to enjoy the summer and then let the cards fall. So I, I talk a lot on my social media about chemotherapy and I will say, I believe it's the best thing that we have in the fight right now as gruesome as the side effects are but it is the best that we have. I'm glad you brought that up because I know you post a lot about it. You post a lot of your before and after pictures and stuff like that. And I wanted to bring it up because that for you to fight like the way you fought, it must have been hard being a hairdresser. You know, I I don't know what it is to be a hairdresser, but that would be like it's you you're supposed to be always, you know, done up and pretty and stuff and then I saw my grandma and then I've seen you before and after pictures. You did lose a lot of your hair. Oh, I lost all of it. You lost almost all of it, even on your, like, eyebrows, correct? I lost my eyebrows. I lost my eyelashes. I was completely bald. I lost every hair. I'm only five people have seen me bald. My surgeon never saw me bald. It was, you know, and that was part of my fight, Ozzy. Yes. To me, when I went to chemotherapy, now, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I hate to use the word flamboyant, but maybe a little. <laughs> I definitely am on the side of glamour. I get up and I put lipstick, red lipstick on every single day, no matter what I'm doing. So to me, I went into character and in what was almost a costume, uh, both by myself at home when no one was here. And especially when I went to the chemo room, because I thought it must suck to be a chemo nurse. And I wanted to be the one strutting across the chemo room and whatever I was wearing that day. And I would get shout outs from other chemo patients across oh, the room. And like you said, you did what you did. You did what you were doing and intending to do. Because I'm sure once you left, they were like, man, there goes Laura again. And her and and her and her strutting the, the runway or whatnot, you know. So, I mean, that's amazing. So, you went into it. You actually went into a character. And the world is but a stage. I did go into a character and I'll tell you what else is so extremely important is um, instead of pink, because it's just not my color. <laughs> I mostly wore army green and okay. I tell you why I, you mentioned I'm the daughter of uh, and granddaughter of world war II veterans. So essentially raised by all these uncles 
uh, that were World War II. I did not know my grandmothers. My mom's very young, very few women when I was growing up. And then I came from a long line of veterans going back to the American Revolution all the way up to my brother recently. So as you said, I have, I, I have warrior DNA, but volunteering at the VA for the last four years, oh, wow. It has been such an eye-opening, heartwarming, um, heartbreaking experience you're a veteran. Uh, the VA has got a, a, a terrible reputation. The one that I'm at is actually pretty good. But just seeing people on in all different stages of uh, injury, be it you know physical, uh, we have one triple amputee, um, and then I see people there in various stages of uh, PTSD been- or, or anything. I mean, cause I know, I know how it is. I'm all, I'm, I'm 100% permanent total. So that is my place to go. I, that's where I go. So you, you end up seeing, and I know it because I go there and there's sometimes I go and there is gaps between the times I go and it's the same guy. You, there's a residential pe- people. You have your residential people. You have your people that are there all the time because of their cancer, because they'll treat us for cancer and stuff like that there and stuff. So yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. you, you see the same faces when you go there a lot, you know, and that's why I, I know it's for you. I've seen some of your posts. You've dedicated a lot of your time to World War II veterans specifically. And yeah. I know that, that you do, you know, you try to better their life a lot. You, you, I've seen you take them out and stuff. And so, I do. so tell me more about that because this is, was this part of your character then, or was this now you is where you, were you finally done dealing with this or when did you when did you finally go hardcore into into really i don't know i'm uh, going into the the va life into the veteran life that the, the older veteran life uh i think part of it was as i said dna and i think um a large part of it was osmosis because when i started volunteering at the va and i had just moved to pensacola florida i was and am single and I would not date anyone unless they were a veteran because I was trying to learn more about the mentality of you all. And my brother was a pilot in the Air Force, so he couldn't tell me anything about infantry. So I ended up just hanging out, not just on romantic levels, but on a variety of levels with uh, veterans across all wars. I'm surrounded by Vietnam vets here where I live. So I just, I learned a lot about living from veterans, but at the, at the VA, uh, I was going to say, I've been involved in two suicide preventions and one death. I mean, I've seen a lot of, a lot of stuff there. So I've learned how, how I think more importantly, how to live Mm -hmm. from these veterans. So when I went to my first chemo, I was already sick because they had given me so many fluids for all of these numerous tests that I had. And they just, they made me ill. So when I went to chemo, I didn't want to go. I wanted to put it off for another week. I wanted to do yoga that morning and feel amazing. And I didn't. And my doctor said, you've waited long enough. I'm not going to let you wait any longer. So I did not take the first one very well. Excuse me. My body did not take the first one very well. I was so sick. And by the way, I'm in recovery for alcoholism. I know that's a, a real, by the way, 28 <laughs> years sober, 
but I have not taken a pain pill or anything in 28 years. I was never addicted to drugs. You're scared to open the door though. You're scared. Yeah. Thank you. So going into chemo, I thought my body is so clean. I don't know if it can handle it. Sure enough. I was very, very, very ill. Refused. I was taking nausea pills, but I was refusing any, any type of pain pill or sedative or anti-anxiety after that first chemo, I became suicidal. I shouldn't have started this. I'm not going to be able to finish this. My body's not going to take it. I'd gone public. My family knew about it. And I went public to partly hold myself accountable so I would follow through with the treatment. But I thought I'd made a huge mistake. And when I say I was suicidal, I, w- I would not have taken my own life at that point. No, you were just, I, I know exactly what you were. I, w- I never at no point intended to take my own life. I never, I never put a gun in my mouth. I never, and I, and I had tons of pills in my house. I never took too many pills, nothing. I lived though wanting to die. I just wanting to die. Like I did more things that maybe got me more risky or I I don't know. I just, I did. I know exactly what you're saying. You just, you just wanted to end this life that you were living, what you were at right now. Well, Ozzy, that's one reason I can relate to you and your story is because we both had those same feelings and I've had them at different points in my life. So mental, uh, mental illness and depression is something that I have to work very, very hard on, especially since I won't see a doctor <laughs> or, uh, or take anything. So that's where I was. <clears throat> and then one of my World War II veterans, he was a baton death march survivor, uh, Glenn Frazier, amazing man, amazing man. And he died uh, on my birthday. September 16th. So right before I started chemotherapy and they were filming a documentary on him. So the memorial was in October after my first chemo. And I was asked to be interviewed to speak about him because I was very close to him for the documentary. So that pulled me out of my depression. I was like, yeah, (laughs) I got, and that was another thing that I learned very early on that if I had something to look forward to that I could pull through to the next chemo and there was only going to be six of them additionally my brother who was my absolute hero and has been since birth flew down from California and I just remember him hovering over my bed saying sis what's going on with you and and pulling me through it so between him coming down and then being a part of that documentary uh, that got me through the first one, and that's when I realized the extent of the fight. I was mildly concerned about losing my hair because I knew that I could have wigs. It was going to be a pretty easy thing to um, resolve, but uh, the best way that I can put this, and your listeners that are that are veterans and yourself, I think, can particularly relate to this. I'm, I'm a history buff, and I believe it was uh, Jocko Willink. I hate to say someone's name and quote him, not absolutely positive that it was him, but I believe it was Jocko that said that when he went into battle, he did not take pictures of his family because it was too distracting and I'm paraphrasing upsetting to see pictures of them. So I took that same mentality and thought, Everything about the person that I was 
stops today. I'm leaving it behind and I'm moving forward as a soldier in this war. So in order to do that, I lined up the first two weeks I was, as I said, very sick. And then I had one week where I was well. And in that one week, I took things that were valuable to me in my former life that I refer to as, as it now. And uh, I did them in that seven day period. And I said goodbye. Wow. So you literally went from, I mean, and, and I get that. I, there's just, you got to cut certain parts of your life out um, at one point just so that I guess you can move forward and, so you, you feel like you somewhat remade yourself, like you said, like a fighter, a warrior, a soldier. And Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I did. And and people <clears throat> think that it was like, and, and you know, I don't even know if I've seen the movie with uh, Demi Moore, where she was trying out to be a seal based on a true story. Evidently, she shaved her head at some point, and people asked me if I was like that. And I was, no, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, when my hair started falling out, I was in the shower. And I'm like, oh, well, there it goes. And I had achieved what I wanted to in that seven day period. And uh, I was sad. So I picked up my phone, which happens to be waterproof. And I took a picture of myself in the shower. And, and uh, I've posted it before. It's a very beautiful uh, picture on, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> it's beautiful on a lot of different levels. But to me, when I see that, that was the night that I said goodbye. And, you know, I, it still makes me sad. I mean, there was a point earlier today where something triggered me to remember the person that I was, and I actually cried. I'm, I'm, I, I'm a different person than I am now, and I'm very happy about the person that I am now, but there was nothing about the life that I was having that I wanted to interrupt, if that makes sense. It wasn't a choice. And it's, it's amazing. It's crazy that cancer is the one that did this to you. Cancer, yes. Not my first trauma. <laughs> <laughs> so you you finally, you know, build this warrior mentality in you and you're overcoming this and you like you said, you finished treatment in December of this past year, correct? Yes. And yes. you're all clear now? I am one hundred percent in the clear. As as far as I'm concerned, I'm cured. I I prefer to use that word. I will say though, um, I can't believe it's taken me this long in the interview to uh, bring her up. I have a very dear friend. She's 15 years younger than younger than me. And we've known each other about 10 years. And she told me three days before he found the, the tumor in my breast that she was just diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. Wow. Three days later, I find this mass in my breast. So at the time, I do remember thinking she's going through this. I could, you know, be likely going through treatment with her so it wasn't until I was diagnosed um obviously that I told her I, I I wanted to know for sure that I had it and I remember being in her living room and we were both bawling and she said I can't believe this is happening and I said I can't either and then I remember looking at her across the room and saying are we talking about you now or me <laughs> And then we started laughing and what we were going to do about our hair. So she, oddly enough, with 15 years between us and two totally different types of cancers, our, her second round and my first round of chemo were together. So we lost our hair together. 
we shaved each other's heads, uh, inappropriate humor around other people. So I did have her. So I, I, she's unfortunately she's still fighting. She's stage four, and oh. she's at at MD Anderson. So I, I wake up, I open my eyes, um, I pray for her every day. And other cancer fighters also, but this is someone that's no, of I'm course. obviously to. I, under, I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. Oh man, that was a uh, that wasn't a little amazing little moment there that you gave me. So. Tell me more, because you were saying that that wasn't your first trauma then? No, not at all. <laughs> so what was your first trauma? Or you don't want to talk about that? Um, I, I'm, you know, I do give my testimony, and uh, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Thank you for, for asking. My first trauma, I was 15 years old, and it's important because uh, that's such a pivotal point in a person's life. I was raised on a farm. And I had a quarter horse that I'd had for five years at that point. And I was riding bareback. It was spring break and something spooked him. And I fell off, but I didn't let go of the reins. It was a complete freak accident, but the horse got twisted around and stepped on my abdomen. I had just had his shoes taken off the day before. <laughs> they said if I had not, it would have gone right through me and I wouldn't wow. be here now. So uh, they did exploratory surgery. I was in the hospital for a week. But this is... I love sharing this story. So my World War II father came into the ICU. This is the first time I remember seeing daddy after waking up from surgery. And he said, Laura, what do you want me to do with your horse? And I was on drugs. I said, daddy, I want you to shoot him. He said, okay. So a few days later, <laughs> I was moved into my, my hospital bed in a regular room. He said, Laura, what do you want me to do with your horse? I said, daddy, I think I don't want to sell that horse. He goes, okay. And then right before I came home from the hospital, Daddy said it again. What do you want me to do with your horse? And I said, Daddy, I'm going to ride him again. He said, that's my girl. That's, awesome. that's the way I was raised. Daddy did not accept fear. And he let me on my own decide to get back on that horse. So Daddy was an amazing leader in life. And well, as if you think father, about it, if you think about it, if you think about it, that same mentality played played out with you because you got knocked off the horse of life when your boyfriend told you, hey, I just found a lump. And you started then getting dragged. Instead of getting stepped on, you were getting dragged by this horse now. And then later on, you finally were able to cut yourself from this horse at some point. But then you were able to get back on it again in, in life. You know, so I mean, if you think about it, you'd somehow that mentality played played out, helped you out in, in your process dealing with this, you know, so it's an amazing fight mentality. And, and it came from an, a, an early, a very early age. And I, I, I'm sure that other people have that same experiences with their fathers, but I'm sure I my kids, I'm sure my kids have that experience. I, I think it might be something, I think it might be something like with a veteran parent you know when your parents a veteran there's always a different standard we bring our kids to and stuff and i i could kind of relate to what he was doing right there because there's certain situations i mean <laughs> my son uh, uh one time fell off a bicycle and he was like i don't want it anymore and honestly the bike's been sitting there still for a year and a half and he finally got on it the other day again and I was like, oh, you see, I, I, I thought we were going to get rid of it. He's like, no, it's okay. I have nothing else to do. And I'm like, yeah, you have nothing else to do. I'm like, why don't we take the training wheels off, you know? So now we're in process of getting the training wheels off. But I never 
I knew that it was, I knew that it was going to, if I got rid of it for him, if the, your dad got rid of that horse for you, he just did you a horrible favor because yeah, he, he got rid of that memory or whatnot, but then he never taught you to overcome or to fight whatever it is that got you and, you know, kicked down in the first place. So, like I said, that's why I think that little story with your dad or your first trauma helped out a lot with, with, uh, your cancer because you did get knocked down. And like you said, you were a hairdresser and, and I know, I know it's tough. It must be tough for a hairdresser to lose her hair and stuff. And like you said, you, you're a flamboyant individual. So, you know, it's, it's, you're losing part of your flamboyantness, your identity, but you're creating more, you're, you're making more. So yeah, it's amazing that, you know, you bring that story up afterwards because it, it I think it, it helped you get through what, what you went through, you know, with your, with your stages of chemo. I think beyond the shadow of a doubt that it did and respect your story about your child um, i would think that that's probably that mentality is probably true with combat veterans yeah not not specific not specific to any particular war mine just happened to have been a world war ii veteran but yes and i think that's um very and, very important and it's tough i mean to talk about uh i was literally just talking about it with jay the other day and you got to do something for instance i couple of weeks ago i was involved in not involved there was a young lady that was in a motorcycle accident in front of me or whatnot she fell off the bike and passed away you know about that um right. i just today went back to that scene um mm. because my therapist said that you have to you have to it is such a huge important process of you know overcoming that trauma to be able to go there and experience it or whatnot which is what you did with the horse what i'm doing with the bicycle and like you said combat veterans tend to raise their kids like that. And I and I literally was telling Jay, I wonder if it's because most of us don't ever get to go back to that spot. Oh, wow. Think about it. About we don't ever, and I and I was telling him, we were in like this zone smoking cigars late at night. We're, and like when you smoke Madudos, they're real hard. And he had FaceTimed me with uh, another brother of ours, Tim, Tim Brown. I don't know if you've ever heard his story. He was uh, in charge, uh, he was in charge of, the he was with Mayor Giuliani in charge of the fire department for 90, when nine eleven happened. Oh right, I know who you're okay. talking about. Okay, so all three of us are good friends, and he they Facetime me because of what had happened to me. I was you know I was kind of in a little funk, and they Facetime me. We were talking, and I told him that I go, man, you know, I'm coming to term to terms with it because we've already driven to the spot. I've already seen it. Um, I've already seen the spot where I parked my bike and everything, and. And I told him, I was like, man, I wonder if we're the way we are because we don't get to, we don't ever get to go back. And then I end up noticing, I meet a lot of these World War II veterans after they've donned their, after they've done their honor flight or whatever. Some of these guys that get to go back over there and they come back refreshed, like a different individual. And I wonder if it's that. And I was telling him, man, Jay, do you think we'll ever go, get to go back Jay, you to karma or me to Fallujah, Iraq. Like, do you really think we'll ever? He's like, 100%, man. I plan to go back. And I'm like, well, tell me. You know, I'm like, tell me. I'll go back with you. You know, but I wonder. I wonder if that, I've always wondered if that is a process of why we're the way we are, that we we push our kids to do that, you know, like to to force force you to, to do the thing you didn't or the thing that got you down. And I wonder if it's because we're just angry inside that we don't get to do that. We don't get to force ourselves to, 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 
to go back to that location and stand there and be like, fuck you. Or I don't know. You get what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure something, if, if I would ever have cancer, I'd go back to that chemo place at my last day and be like, fuck you. I'm out of here. You know, like, and just leave. Like, I'm done. I, I got to, I got to say that here. I got to say that in the place that knocked me down. And then we don't, you know? So I wonder if that, I've always wondered if that mentality is what pushes our, pushes us to do that. Cause it's not like your father at that time when you, he was raising you had ever got to go back to World War II, you know, or got ever at that time was ever possibly to go back to those locations. I don't know. You know I mean? So I, I've always wondered, I've always wondered how, how that comes into play the way that the way that we're not able to deal with our trauma. We're not, we're just, I'm in limbo land. And that's what I was telling Jay. I was like, he was like, man, but what you saw, I know what you saw must've been tough for the motorcycle accident. Right. And I'm like, it is, bro, but like within a week and a half, I was able to process all of it. Literally go back to the scene, be with the people that were there. I've been able to process it, but yet Iraq, and I, that's literally what I told him. I was like, in Iraq, I can't, dude. I'm like, I try to go back in my pictures, but it's not the same, you know? So it, I think your dad did a huge thing for you by keeping that horse because... You know, you would have never have gone to guess, get to ride him again, see him eye to eye or anything like that, you know? And and that's Jay and I were talking about that, you know, like, dude, do you think we'll ever be able to, I don't know, go to peace and, and go to that one spot that, <laughs> I mean, for him, I mean, dude, were you laid, you know? Like, would, would that, how crazy? So I think that's huge that he did that for you because, like I said, it, it pushed you to to get back on the horse of life and create that new you that you're doing now that I love. Like I said, you're, you're volunteering, you're huge into volunteering life. And then your, your new hobby is, you know, you're, you're, you're learning how to free dive because you want to be a mermaid. Correct. And I mean, I'm not joking. I'm in from my, I'm from Miami. There's a lot of places. Look, there's a place in Tampa that one of uh, Sean Lopez was telling me to let you know, there's a restaurant over there or something like that, that they hire women to be mermaids in the pool while people are eating. Yeah. So, I know. uh, I mean, you know, Sean's trying to find you a job and everything already. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, I mean, you're now, I don't know. You're obviously there's limits to what you can do. We're not millionaires. You know I mean? You're, you're not in that situation where you can just do whatever you want, but I mean, you're doing it. You're, you're now no longer surviving. Now you're trying to thrive in life. You're just trying to have fun and you're just trying to, do the things you want to do and 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 tell me about that how how is that how do you feel because if you were telling me just a few minutes ago in our conversation that you haven't processed anything until probably now that we've just had this conversation okay so then tell me what is it that you have been doing what is it that how is it that you think then if you haven't processed it how is it that you've been i guess pushing forward to not look back behind what is it that you've been doing that's a very interesting question and in how you put it. Yeah, because I'm curious. I mean, how does it, how do, how do you, how do you not process one thing, but yet still want to continue pushing forward, free diving, want to be a mermaid. And I'm, I'm gonna, I'm still volunteering hardcore and still doing, living the life you're living. And, and like, you know, sometimes I see you and I feel like you're a free bird. So what is it? Why, what is it that you're doing? What, what, What's what's pushing you to do that, but yet still at the same time, you know, you're you're still level headed that you join a group, the Overcome Army group, because you understand that you want to 
I don't know, maybe push yourself a little bit more in life. But yet I still feel that you're already doing, you know, you're doing that, but you want to do it more. Like what, what's getting you, what is it that you've been doing? What's getting you through that? Well, thank you for asking. And I think a good place to start there is how I came about being in the Overcome Army. I think that's a good, a good launch part, a good launch place. Um, first of all, I, I want to tell you also, we were talking about traumas and, and thank you again for giving my father props on that. Um, rest in peace, daddy lost him 15 years ago to cancer. So, uh, I, in the crash of 2008, the economy crash, I had a two story house, an acre of land, a Harley, a 64 Chevy Impala, a husband and a thriving business all of which I lost in an extremely short period of time, which led to a short period of homelessness. So after that homelessness, <laughs> I started adding what I considered luxuries back into my life and decided I did not want to live the status quo anymore. So I am currently a full-time RVer. I live in a camper that has been paid for. So I get asked a lot about my lifestyle, like trips to Europe. For one thing, I work for a, I work for Marriott, and then I live in an RV. So to me, it's more important to do all these things before cancer and after cancer, and that's one way that I do it. So I just wanted to put that out there because I get asked about the lifestyle a lot, and I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in um, uh, being a bit of a minimalist. So how I came about uh, the Overcome Army is, I had moved back from Pensacola to Alabama to finish up radiation and I was listening to one of uh, Jocko's podcasts and happened to have been Jay Redmond and Jay's story was one that just I could really relate to even though our wounds were so completely different uh, he had you know suffered a, a obviously extremely traumatic injury, not to mention um, his, as he calls them, leadership fails leading. I, I could just relate to him. He right. resonated with me. His story did. So I read the Trident, which was out. And then I sent him a message on uh, Instagram and he responded to it, which was um, really sweet of him. He was very supportive. I was still in treatment. And then I went on his website to see who his agent was, because I told you I was an agent. Mm -hmm. I was curious, you know, kind of how these circles um, went. And I saw that he did um, one hour coaching sessions. And that's how it came about is I booked that hour with him. I said, uh, that, that man has something to tell me. I don't know what it is. I just felt like he had a message from God to give to me that he was going to be a, con a conduit for that to happen. And if that wasn't the case, I was going to have an hour long conversation with, you know, <laughs> A Navy SEAL that got shot in Iraq. And <laughs> as it turns out, um, obviously he did. But one of the things that stood out in that conversation is I said, you know, I've been, this is how I approached it, that I remember it. I said, I, you know, I've been fighting cancer for the last year. And prior to that, I was volunteering at the VA, but I just, I just feel like I'm not going. And I was like, I'm just stuck. I need to be doing something. He's like, you've been doing nothing, but I don't know, fighting cancer. So I, I, I minimized it then, and uh, maybe I still do. Maybe it's for the better. I haven't really uh, analyzed it that much. So after that one-hour conversation, he told me about the Overcome Army, and I remember saying specifically, I'm very feminine, but I'm kind of a dude, and I have a really hard time gauging what is, you know, 
uh, appropriate. And I thought Overcome Army was just for veterans or, you know, that type of thing. And he was like, mercy, no. And I'm enjoying talking about this with you so your listeners can hear about it also, because I know how much it has helped you. Well, that's why I bring it up. That's why I bring it up, because the same thing goes with my podcast. People assume that Overcome Army and my podcast are just for military and it's not. The reality is that you're so I'm not trying to prop us up in a plat and a like in a little pedestal or anything, but individuals, there's a lot of individuals, business minds or just anybody that is, is dying to ask questions to combat veterans. Right. So it, we tend to attract more veterans and stuff like that, but it's what you said. It's not for anybody like that. What I would say to it is, is it's for somebody to at least learn the mindset. We're not teaching anything tactical or anything like that, but we're at least teaching the mindset on how to, we're breaking down exactly what we would do with an M16 or whatever service rifle we have in an ambush. But we're telling you it's instead of an M16, you use your brain as a tool, use this as a tool and use other individuals as tools. So yeah, it's, it's, for some reason, though, everybody has always thought it's about military and it's not, you know, we are just, we're just trying to help individuals honestly overcome life, you know, overcome, overcome their life at adversities and, and overcome that, that X that they're on, get off the X, like how Jay says. So I'm so glad. So how do you feel that within that time that you've met Jay, be, joined the overcome army, how do you feel it's, it's changed you because I don't know. You're doing an interview with me now. I'm not saying I'm a big time. I'm not Joe Rogan or anything like that, but you yes. went, you went from somebody that didn't want to face what she had to somebody that took her life by the horns or, you know, whatever. And now I'm going to run my life the way I want to run it to then now. Okay. Wait a second. I do understand. I have still flaws and stuff. I want to join this group now. I feel I feel the group's done good for you because you're you're opening up. You're you're talking to a stranger and to more strangers on a podcast, you know. But what what is it that you feel that it has done to you in this short time in this year? Well, now I'm scared that you put it in those words. <laughs> well, look, it's it, it's the same thing with me. I mean, uh, it was like how when he asked me to be in his in his book, you know, uh, he tells me, "Dude, you." He approaches me one day and he was like, hey, man, you're kind of like what I envisioned after Overcome Overcome Army, Overcome Academy graduates doing, you know, what you're trying to do. By, and by no means, I'm on no level like, you know, Jocko and, and some of these other individuals. But I am I am doing exactly what you did. I'm grabbing my life by the horns and I'm running it the way I want to run it. And nobody's going to tell me no. And, and if you do, then I'll set up my own studio in my house like I'm doing now and do my own podcast like I'm doing now by myself. So it, it that's, that's the, that's exactly. So that's the, I see you doing that now. What do you, what is it that you feel? How do you feel it, it has changed you in this short time? Because for me, it was only two weeks. So that's why I, I, I'm curious to know you because when it was for me, for when it was the Overcome Academy, what Jay did for veterans, for combat wounded veterans, it was a two week right. program that he flew us out to Virginia and we did all of this within two weeks. It was, uh, Every day we would go wake up, work out, and then uh, go into class meetings and class sessions and then tell our story at one point, learn and speak, and then uh, learn a corporate mind. And it was a whole two-week process. But for what he's doing now is a longer process. This is, 
you know, at one point, I'm sure he wants to. We've already spoken about doing a three, four day seminar where individuals will come in. But as of right now, it's hard because we can't you can't just dish everything out at you. But you're getting you're getting what you're getting these mindsets, not just from Jay, but from Ray and from other Navy SEALs and other Marines and other service members. You're getting all this information to you. How do you feel that? You already had that World War II mindset and stuff, but how do you feel all this now is, what is it doing to you? How is it helping you, you know, my little catchphrase for my podcast, survive and thrive? How is it, how is it helping you do that? Well, I think um, another thing that came out of that immediate conversation, the first one that I had with Jay, and he's not the first uh, combat veteran that had said it to me, you need to do what makes you happy. And I remember going, you know, I mean, you can see my face right now, like what makes me happy like, that's kind of strange. I wasn't expecting anybody to, I've never really lived my life by what made me happy. I've, I've lived my life in servitude because uh, I told God if he bailed me out of that alcoholism issue that I would do anything he wanted me to do. And he's asked me to do a lot of things and I've been more than happy to do it. And they, they come back around and warm my heart, but make me happy. And uh, I had a couple of other veterans say that to me also. And I started thinking of it in those terms and uh, gosh, Ozzy, I mean, you brought it up before being a mermaid was certainly not on my list of things to do. One of the things that he brought up too in that first conversation is um, we were talking about, there was a, a job. I, I said, what makes me happy is when I'm helping um, combat veterans for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, veterans in certain situations are able to open up and talk to me about many different things. Uh, one guy for the very first time since he had been home and he was one of the first ones to even go into Iraq. He's a Marine. And after that experience with me, he went on and got help and was diagnosed. So from those experiences, I thought, well, that's what I really want to do because I feel like that's where I'm, I'm best uh, being used as a human being in this life, but I don't have a degree. So I was talking to Jay about that. And he said, I applied for a job in Miami. And he said, well, it's not like Minnesota. And I said, well, I wouldn't go. I paddleboard. And he's like, oh, well, paddleboarding, they prescribe for people with traumatic brain injury. So that's another road that I've been going down. Uh, certification would have been this weekend, but the whole COVID-19 sort of put that off. So I'm still going to pursue that. And then the mermaid thing, I brought it up to him, like, you know, this sounds a little bit crazy, but it's a legit uh, profession. And he, Jay himself, has helped keep me uh, on a path. And I think with the Overcome Army and just the principles behind it, just that alone, if I had just read the book and just had the call with him and just talked to him on occasion, has definitely kept me more focused on the goals. And then to have other people in the army too to help, you know, surround yourself with. I've never had that probably ever in my life. I, I was so busy being um, daddy's little girl, the boss's daughter, uh, homecoming queen, um, the leader of different societies, the one that was raising money for different fundraisers. I, my public image. I had honed in on it so well from such an early age. At some point you forget who you are. And I think that cancer 
took that away from me. And as hard as I worked on that person and that personality, as hard as it was to let go of it, that's where I'm at now. I'm like, okay, she's served a purpose and, and this is a new me going to do something else. So the Overcome Army group kind of gives me a place where I can be vulnerable. And for me to be this vulnerable on your podcast and be able to share it with other people is huge. As I said, I've given my testimony uh, three times while I was in treatment for cancer and happy to do it. And I hope I get more of an opportunity to do it. So going forward, in addition to the things that I'm doing for myself, I hope that, um, that, that doors will open like this for me to have the opportunity to share that story. I, I hope so, too, because it's a great story. And I think everybody needs to listen to it because like, this is something that will touch. Unfortunately, I, I believe every family, every family will be touched by cancer. Um, and 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 knowing that stories like this might help out because, you know, then what the individual might be thinking and stuff like that. I want to ask you a question because you did bring it up. I, I, I in the last few recordings I've done with my interviews, I just. I don't even bring COVID up. I, I have said it like as a joke, but so, but I am curious to know because how, are, how is it that like, did it affect you? Did it, because I'm sure there's other listeners out there listening, hopefully, you know, that, that have been through something like this. And the whole scare was people with cancer can get it sooner or can, you know, so how are you doing in this time right now where they say that, individuals that have survived cancer can be more vulnerable or something like that. Like, how is it that do you feel inside or do you, I mean, cause I see you and you're still living you. Remember I'm the girl that walked out of an appointment <laughs> when they tried to tell me I had cancer and went to Europe. When I was going through chemotherapy, I continued to go to the VA to volunteer during flu season. So you Nothing were vulnerable there. From living my life nothing and if it and if it kills me then you know put that on my team <laughs> love it love it yeah, so no it hasn't stopped me i'm not working um i'm let me back up i am being responsible i'm not going out there like a jerk you know and correct i'm not saying you're doing that but i'm just saying you know, like, right, i know that you weren't but you know in today's age you have to be careful super <laughs> I, I'm not working. I'm a hairdresser. So I've been laid off of work, I think, five weeks now. But as far as going out in society, as I said, I live in an RV. So I go to a grocery store a lot. My refrigerator is a shoe closet. So uh, I've been doing normal things. But it's been, to be honest, I hate to say this, but I shouldn't hate to say this. It's, it, for me personally, it's been a blessing. Because I missed one and a half days of work when I was fighting cancer. And sometimes I would excuse myself from behind my chair and go in the bathroom and get sick and then come back and finish my client. And God love them for staying with me through that. I was very focused on my work and I'm highly educated. So as far as I know, I didn't give anybody a bad haircut. But to have worked that hard through chemo and to now have this period of time off of work I'm finally able to give my body and my, my brain uh, and my spirit just a chance to, you know, exhale. And a good decompress. <laughs> a, a decompress. Yes. yes. That's exactly what it is. And pursuing the things that I, I really want to. I've been working very, I, I worked out, did yoga the entire time through. 
uh, chemo, I was already physically fit going into it, which was a huge bonus. But yes, I'm physically, now that the beaches are open, I'm paddling, I'm still doing yoga and started a little bit of strength training. So decompressing, but also building, if that makes sense. Awesome. And praying again, um, I'm obviously a very spiritual person and just praying for people that are fighting COVID and praying for the medical teams and, and, and my friends that are, you know, I hate to say plural fighting cancer still or just started fighting it. I know how horrible it is, but as for myself, I put up such a ferocious fight. I'm, I am living completely uh, to the fullest, uh, awesome. especially through Awesome. That's why that's, 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 you know, that's why I was asking because I wanted an answer like that. You know, I just wanted your answer. I wanted people to understand that you still got to live life, you know? Yeah. Be cautious and stuff. Uh, I'm not even going to say that word that I'm going to say whatever. I hate that old, that new norm, but it's not a new normal because there is no normal. This isn't normal. So we just got to get adjusted to this now and, uh, you know, live with it. But so I thank you so much, Laura, for, for joining me. Um, we, we got to know each other pretty well in this conversation like i said to me at the beginning it was cool because everybody i've interviewed i somewhat know who they are or i really i i I actually really know who they are and with you i i just knew you from social media and from the overcome army group and like i said i attached myself somewhat your story to me because my my story was the total opposite i had an you know an individual in my life that did give up on their fight and you know i just wanted to at least Definitely, I've, I've told you from the beginning I wanted to interview you because that's what I wanted people to hear was how, what was it that got you through that fight because I want other people to be strong through their fight. So I thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Ozzy, it was an absolute honor to be here. And if there was just one thing that someone picked up from this interview that gives them peace if they are dealing with cancer or if they know someone else that was, then... Um, I'm very grateful, and uh, I, I certainly hope that that's the case. And because I am a fighter, and I did have that background to to prepare me for fighting when I was ready to start fighting, I know that I have been able to um, set the stage, if you will, uh, for some other people that may not have seen it the same way, such as using the chemo room as a as a runway for a fashion show. So. I do hope that some of those things have helped your listeners today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. And I look forward to continue seeing you in the group. So thank you so much, Ozzy. And I, I, again, I appreciate what you're doing with the podcast and thank you to you and all the other veterans for my freedom. I do not take a day of it lightly. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the post-traumatic survival podcast. We sure do appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll receive notifications from us as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. We certainly appreciate it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. We appreciate you and them. Until next time, survivors. All right. Awesome.